for Nadar. Let's get into it. The podcast that dives into the past, present, and future of Nadar. This is where we will hear stories of how the organization came to be, tips for better representation, and a behind-the-scenes look of Nadar. Now with your hosts, Eva Sermon and Jay Shea Guest. I am Carletta Griffin, inviting you. Let's get into it. All right, welcome to another edition of Nader. Let's get into it. Um, I'm Jay Shea Guest. I have a, my host here, co-host. Well, she's the boss, Miss Eva Sermon. <laughs> hey, good morning. Yeah, good morning. Good morning. We have, I guess we call this the 50-50, right? The 50-50 show. Appropriate. But we're not talking about half of anything. We're talking about a celebration, a milestone, and uh, it coincides with our our guest today. So I'm going to turn it, uh, the show over to Miss Eva and let her introduce our guest today. And I am so happy to be able to get into this one. Me too, Shay. Um, so we have with us this, uh, this morning, um, Bill Litterall, who is a longtime Nader member, um, served on many a committee, uh, served on the board for a while, became the president. Um, truly a member as an owner of an association, um, but also with us to celebrate a milestone of his um, that coincides with the milestone of SSAs, which is the 50th anniversary of supplemental security income is coming up uh, or is upon us, I should say. And, um, and, and it's also Phil's 50th anniversary of being in this line of work. So welcome, Phil. Hey, thanks, Eva, Shay. Good to, good to hear y'all. You too, you too. So, I mean, I guess we have to start at the beginning, right? This is this seems like maybe you might have been in the business the longest year. Well, you know, I've, I've wondered that and thought that that might be true, uh, especially I got to thinking about it when I saw the uh, celebrations around the uh, 50th anniversary of, of SSI this past fall and dawned on me that, uh, SSI and myself were created in the same fell swoop almost. Um, so yeah, um, I, I started when SSI began and and here I am 50 years later, just like SSI. <clears throat> Amazing. I mean, really a tribute to your work ethic and dedication that you would still be in this line of work in some capacity 50 years later. Um, you should be proud of that, Phil. That's a big milestone. Yeah, well, <clears throat> I, I kind of like to think of it as um, instead of my individual accomplishment, I, I think of it as my path, um, you know, um, a path that hundreds of people have walked before me um, and uh, dozens of people uh, when it comes to the NADAR part of the path. But I just kind of blindly blindly stumbled upon this path and and here i am so you know if you go back to august of 72 or the fall of 72 when ssi was first signed into law that's also the time that the nine month period there i got married turned 21 graduated from college and actually the last three weeks of that period I graduated from college, 
did an interview, signed up for an interview with IRS, uh, had a son, had a call back from uh, SSA instead of IRS. Like, what? Um, interviewed with them, was hired. Um, and within that three-week period, I went from a college student who was married and expecting a son and having no idea what the hell I was going to do to entering on duty with SSA. Uh, and that, that was the, uh, that was the higher up the buildup to prepare for the SSI, uh, program. And, okay. you know, SSA hired thousands of employees that year. Uh, one of which was me. And, uh, like I said, uh, to someone earlier, you know, I entered on duty on June the 4th of 73 and then was fully trained uh, and ready to go when the first SSI check was paid January 1st, 74. And in between there, Shay, I, I, I spent uh, six weeks in training in Columbus, Mississippi. So, you know, I, that, that's my one and only uh, uh, relationship with the state of Mississippi uh, before or since. <laughs> but it was a good process. And, uh, you know, started me on, the, I consider it my rebirth uh, is, when I, is when I began with SSA. Phil, talk to us about the SSA of 1974. Like, what what did it look like? What did it feel like? Yeah. Were you talking to, you know, working with? Right. So, you know, SSA was actually pretty young even then. Um, disability benefits began in the late 50s, and Medicare was only like six years old when I began. Um but with this, even before, and especially with the buildup for SSI, <clears throat> SSA like had become the face of the federal government. Any interaction that people had with the federal government pretty much either came through or revolved around, or at least was in a facility uh, where SSA was located. And it was, a highly thought of um, federal agency. Social Security was one of the most popular and still is one of the most popular uh, federal programs out there. And um, the employees were looked up to and, and treated well by the agency, uh, had good relationships with the public. I know when I, when I began uh, the job title well, I started out as a service representative and soon became a claims representative. And we were always told that that word representative meant two things. Number one, you represented the administration. But number two, and equally important, was that you represented the claimant or the beneficiary. Um, they don't even call them representatives anymore. Claims representatives have now become claim specialists. So, you know, they don't have to pretend they represent anyone. Um, but it was, it was a good, uh, solid, very stable, uh, upwardly mobile um, place to work and with, with great benefits. You know, um, 
if you work for the federal government, do you have the same, for example, you say have the same health insurance plan that Congress people have. So, you know, they're going to they're going to make sure that your benefits are good because it's their benefits as well. Right. Um, so I've been very fortunate in, in that respect. And I I always worked with uh, field offices. I was always in a field office. I was in five different offices in four different states. And we were kind of compartmentalized to the point where, you know, the field office didn't really know much about what the DDS was doing. And the DDS didn't know what the Office of Hearings and Appeals was doing. And no one knew what the hell went on in Baltimore in the central office. So, you know, you had to stay in your lane or you didn't know what you were doing. You couldn't learn. There was so much uh, to, to know about each of these components that you did well to be marginally proficient in the one that you were supposed to be working in. Um, and like I said, that, that continued for years. And I spent the last 20 years in one field office. And it just so happens that Toward the end, like the year before, year and a half before I retired, I got selected for a disability training cadre. Um, my mother was a school teacher, and I guess training is just kind of in my genes. So uh, I jumped at the opportunity, and for the first time, I started actually going to Baltimore some. Um, this was early in the 21st century, and SSA had finally got some late 20th century technology. So they were doing this interactive video training, and I was an interactive video instructor and for the first time got to go to Baltimore. And I always joked with uh, the NADR people that, you know, uh, after joining Nader, I was able to meet with um, social security commissioners a few times. I never got to see a social security commissioner when I worked for social security. The closest I came was one trip to Baltimore. I saw the commissioner across the cafeteria, you know, and uh, said, Hey, that's the commissioner. Wow. You know, I've seen the, I've seen the commissioner and, you know, after joining NADAR, it, it was still special to, Get to meet with those people in Baltimore, but it, it wasn't unique. It wasn't unheard of like it was when you actually worked for the agency. So it was it was quite a ride. You bring up a point that I'm curious about because obviously we know that technology has just like you know grown leaps and bounds and made all of our our jobs, no matter what industry we're in, easier and more efficient. And so um the early days of working there. Were, was everything still done on paper? Did they have any kind of internal, you know, CMS or anything that they used or was all just handwritten documents? It was basically everything was paper. Now, when I first began uh, the first year or several months anyway, they literally had an old uh, Western Union teletype machine in all the field offices. And so, you know, you would you would enter in paper on a card what you what coding you wanted to address, like a change of address or uh, benefit computation or that kind of thing. You would give it to the teletype operator and she would punch the information 
literally into this old ARS machine with keys like taking up a whole room. And then that would punch cards. They'd feed those cards into a reader and that would go to Baltimore. And that was the only technology that they had Amazing. was Western Union. Now, when SSI came along, they got the first actual computer linked network. Um, you know, they tried to build the technology up to deal with this new program, but you still had um, what they called a uh, tele, a keyboard operator in one room uh, in the field office, and all the forms would go to this person. And instead of an ARS machine, now she actually had a computer keypad and uh, a terminal that a monitor that would actually show coding uh, rather than a punch card. Um, and she would have to type everything in and then they would have someone else would come in and read everything that she typed to proofread it and then it would get sent. So it stayed that way, frankly, all the way up into the um, mid 1990s. They stuck with that one computer system Wow. And, you know, they had data review technicians in every office that took what you wrote on a claim and entered that onto a form and then transmitted it through the computer to Baltimore. Um, and it was it was like 97. Probably before we actually started taking claims at a terminal on our desk. That's so, You've seen it all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you retired from SSA after how many years? Yeah. So um, I had 33 and a half years. So I retired in January of 2007. And, you know, the only requirement uh, for retirement there is to be at least 55. And I was, so um, I thought I might like to do something else. But as it turns out, that something else uh, became a you know, stock clerk at Target and, uh, you know, a, a receipt checker at Costco at the door, you know, stuff like mm -hmm. that. And I'm thinking, hmm, maybe there should be something more than just this. I started substitute teaching, which is pure hell in case anyone's thinking of going into that don't that's um, interesting that's yeah. interesting because yeah. i did the same thing before i got into represent, represent yeah <laughs> yeah so i i was miserable as a substitute teacher and one day a fellow teacher asked me what i used to what i used to be you know before i became nothing and and uh I told her that I'd worked for social security and she said, well, Hey, I've got a, I've got a cousin who helps people uh, file for disability. I said, Oh, he's a lawyer. No. She said, you don't have to be. And so, you know, bells started going off. I had worked with some non-attorney reps, a couple of them uh, before, right before I left the agency. And I knew such a thing existed, but I had no idea that that would be, something that I could do. But once that uh, light went off, uh, I started looking into that. So retired in 2007 and started my 
own business in 2008. And, uh, you know, joined Nader in 2009 and um, joined the board in 2011. And I guess the rest is history. One, one ironic little sidebar to that path was that my son, the one that was born the week before I started with SSA and the week I graduated from college, um, he had been through college and, you know, he was going into the uh, ranks of uh, teaching college courses, et cetera. And he had a friend that was doing the same thing. And this friend said, Hey, by the way, if you need, you know, if you need some money to get you through all this process, uh, I just got a job at some outfit looking at medical records and making decisions on limitations. So my son said, okay, I'll try that. And he went, got it. It was only after he got there that he and I both realized that, you know, he was working for DDS, the same, same process that I was using, you know. Oh my God. So, yeah, it was just weird. It was coincidental. And so in 2012, after I'd been on the NADAR board for a while, I kind of hired him away from DDS. And now he's he's the one actually running the business here, operating the the business that I started back then. So life can throw you some curves for sure. That's amazing. I I um Okay, so you when you working when you were working for SSA, and you had you said it towards the end you had worked briefly with a couple of non-attorney reps, um, so knew it was a thing. You know, those of us that do this work often refer to people that come from SSA as jumping the fence, like oh they jump the fence, right? Yeah. So when you were working for SSA, did that thought pattern ever cross your mind, like? Or wasn't it? It wasn't until the conversation with your colleague that you realized, oh, okay. Yeah, I, can do that. yeah, I had some people, some coworkers, mention to me, you know, the non-attorney rep phenomena, and uh, that hey, this is something that we could do maybe after we retire. And I was like, no, are you kidding me? Number one, if I ever get out of this rat race, I am definitely not going to be looking for something related to that again. And uh, number two, you know, I don't I don't think we would actually be qualified. I mean, what the hell do I know about? You know, we took disability claims, but that was it. We just took the claims and paid the ones that were allowed. We had I had no idea uh, about medical listings or grids or what it took to actually win a claim. You know, I took them and I paid them. But everything in between I was clueless about. So yeah, it didn't really register with me until, you know, at least a year after I had retired that maybe that was something I could do. And, you know, we, I, we work, lawyers would come in as representatives all the time. And some of them were really good. In fact, most of them were decent, but you would get some that just were like, oh my God, you know, this person is representing someone, you know, I'd be running uh, as far away as I could get from that process. But, you know, in hindsight, I started thinking, well, if that person can do this, surely I can. So 
kind of gave me the incentive to, to go ahead and look into it. So you start your business in 2008. And at what point did you think to yourself, I got to find a network of other people that are doing this or education or, you know, yeah. that led you to the path of looking up Nader? It was at the point when I started not getting paid for for the work I was doing, right. uh, you know, and having to chase claimants to try to to get money from them and and then realizing, hey, there is this direct pay process. Yeah, but to do that, I got to pass this test. And I don't you know, like I said, I didn't know a lot about medical um, determinations or hearings or you know, well, I knew a lot about payment centers and field offices. But anyway, I said, you know, how am I going to make sure I pass this test? So I started checking for uh, help. And two two places came up, uh, Nosker and Nader. So I sent applications into both and, uh, you know, applied to become members of both. And it just so happened that the Nader uh, information arrived a day before the Nosker information. So I was thinking, okay, I'm going to do this. And then the Nosker stuff came in and said, well, wait a minute, maybe I should do that. And, but then I saw that most of the Nosker personnel were lawyers, if not all. And I said, well, that's not me. So I'm going to go with this other outfit that has at least some non-attorneys in it. And, and, found out that there was a study session available to pass the test and use that and got to got to know Trisha Cardillo quite well through that process. And that's kind of what started me on the Nader path. Yeah. Unbelievable. That was the same year I joined Nader also in 2009. Um, yeah. And, and remember having, I mean, obviously very different, I had a very different um, career background didn't work for SSA, but had all the same kinds of thoughts, right? Like, how am I going to get paid? And, and yeah. is this lucrative? And how, you know, you know, all the things you, you, you're second guessing, right? As you're walking down the journey, <laughs> down the path. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So you joined in 2009 mm-hmm. and that means you would have, did you test in 11? I think I, I think I passed the test in 10. I think, but I'm not sure. It could have been 11. Okay. Yeah, I know. I know that um, uh, I missed the 2009 conference because I joined like uh, a week before Baltimore. Uh, but but I was at the 2010 conference in Chicago uh, training on X- SSI. Actually, so I think I was. I have passed the test by that point. Got it. Yeah. And, and I talked to, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. I was just going to ask you a follow-up question to that. So sure. once passing the test and, you know, moving into eligible for direct pay, non-attorney status, did you, did you immediately feel like a sense of relief? Like, okay. Or, yeah. or was it not as noticeable to you? Well, I'm going to say that I camped out down by my mailbox for about a month waiting on the test results. Right, right. As I'm <laughs> so, you know, and, and, you know, held my breath and was afraid to open the letter once the test results came in. 
you know, I was tempted to take it and have my wife open it. I would be able to tell by the look on her face if I'd passed or not. But it, I guess in answer to your question, it was crucial. <clears throat> I, don't, <clears throat> I don't think there was any way I could have <clears throat> continued in the business without direct payment. Right. <clears throat> so, you know, it, it made an immediate difference. You know, at one point, um, well, early, early in the business, I had already, I had one employee and that was my son. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, I was, at that time, I was paying him a salary, a very low salary, I might add. But even at that, <clears throat> I didn't have enough. I got down to the point where I didn't have enough uh, money to meet payroll. And I actually had to borrow money uh, to pay his salary. I don't know if he knows that or not. Maybe maybe I better make sure he doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> but uh, We can't edit that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, uh, you know, I had to borrow, but only one time. And then, um, and then not that I won every case that I took on, obviously, but I did begin to have quite a high winning percentage and the direct pay money just kind of started rolling in. And, you know, from that point on, I, I didn't have any, uh, financial, hardships at all, all the way up to the point where he took over the money. And now uh, I have to wait and see if he's got money to pay me now and then. Right, right. Life's come full circle again, right? Yeah. Um, I think it's just important to kind of just pause on that for a second, because I know, you know, we're, we're, we're entering into a season of people going through the process of studying for this exam. And, um, you know, they, they have all these same concerns and I'm sure question marks and can I do this and will I pass and all that kind of stuff. But I think it's important just to kind of say, you know, this organization is the reason why, you know, mm. that is a thing. Um, and so before fee withholding, which we've talked about on this podcast before, but before fee withholding was a thing, you know, you were collecting from your claimant, which it, it presents a cash flow problem <laughs> to put it nicely. Right. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I just think that um, as we move further away from the demonstration project that led to fee withholding becoming a thing, um, it's just important to pause and be like, wow, Nader did that. That's amazing, you know? Mm -hmm. Because of Absolutely. it, people can make a lucrative you know, living um, and not have to chase fees. I mean, sort of, we still chase them, but at least it's only calling one <laughs> one yeah. uh, agency right not yeah 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 so um i can tell you that from from the time i started talking to nadar uh, which at first was through the talk list the forum you know had a lot of conversations with a lot of people um a lot of people needed to know what i knew and I needed to know a lot about what other people knew. And so it was just a, a tit for tat sort of situation. And, uh, you know, I had become a, my last job title with SSA was an SSI technical expert, you know, so kind of like dancing with the one that brought you. Um, 
SSI created my career and I ended up being a specialist in SSI. So, and, and not only that, I had worked in um, the SSDI program. I, can't, I have to keep trying to remember what it's called outside the agency, the Title II program as well. I was a supervisor for both programs. So I knew uh, quite a bit about that as well. And I was able to share that technical expertise. And once I went to Chicago to the first conference, you know, I just realized, hey, these, these are people that have what I need. And um, so I, it was my mission just to help them as much as I could because they had helped me so much. And, you know, I talk about hundreds having walked this path with SSA, but at least dozens, several dozens of people have walked the same path with NADAR that I have, you know, um, engaging in the talk list and contributing to the pack and pursuing running for the board, serving on the board or other committees, uh, even advancing through the board, you know, I'm I'm in elite company as when it comes to serving as president for a while. So dozens of people have done that, and a few hundred are at a point right now where they are either beginning to or once did or need to uh, be walking the NADAR path, in my opinion, it, there is nothing more important to a business. Now, I'm not saying that absolutely has to be NADAR, but that's the only one out there that I know of that offers the mutual support uh, that I see in NADAR. You know, everyone is giving, uh, every active person is giving what they have and getting what they need. Uh, to me, that's what NADAR is about. I think that's a really um, valid explanation of it. I think that probably the top list forum is our, you know, number one sort of most utilized membership benefit. Um, and, and that's where you truly see on display this exchange that you're talking about, right? Like, obviously, yeah. we know those of us that are stitched in and go to conferences and stuff that there's exchanges that happen there too, um, that are also huge, like, oh my God, I'm going to implement that on Monday, you know, kind of thing. But, but the daily exchange, I think happens on the talk list. And, and I think if you're new to Nader, even if you're from a different industry, um, there may be expertise that you have that's not technical in nature, like Phil's, but, but also potentially very valuable to people. Um, and so, you know, don't be shy. I will say that if you're, yeah. if you're new, um, get out there and po make a post and, um, reply, ask questions. Um, somebody likes to say, you know, rising tides lift all boats, something like that. And I think yeah. that that's true. Um, we all we all have areas of expertise we can share. So yeah, absolutely. And now and now it's even morphed over into uh, some of the social media platforms as well. So I mean, you know, if you want to go on face Nader's Facebook uh, page or or the talk list or listen to these podcasts or 
you know, join in the webinars. There, there are so many ways now that you can get what you need. Uh, and if what you need isn't there, then you can drive what you need to be there. You can say, hey, I need this. It'll show up. So, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, I, I say that the sign from on the recruiting door at college from IRS saying, hey, we need people to fill out this application, you know, if that started my career uh, with SSA, then uh, joining NADAR and studying for the test is what actually drove my business, my, my second career, if you will. Um, because without that, you know, I'd still be, well, I've probably gone back to checking receipts at the door at Costco. <laughs> he would have abandoned uh, substitute teaching, but. <laughs> That's right. That's but, right. Yeah. So. And, and yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, so, so in your leadership roles within Nader, um, you know, talk to us about the the highs and the lows there. You know, what what were some things that presented themselves along the way that you would consider, you know, a, a win, um, and maybe something you would consider a, a struggle or a hurdle? Yeah, uh, a lot of both, but um, you know, the the win was joining NADR and um, being uh, awake enough to understand what it really was and and where it could take me um so that to me is my greatest role as far as things that i actually controlled um the most of the rest like i said just walking a path that many people had already walked and you know you think from time to time that well i'm gonna i'm gonna create a new path. Uh, I'm going to change things for the better. But really what most of us, myself especially, end up doing is just walking the path. You know, someone walked up before me, the trail is already blazed, the markers are, you know, painted there on the tree trunks. Uh, you follow the markers and you reach your destination. Now, I will say um, that there is only one new trailhead that I am trying to blaze now. And that's the, you know, I've kind of contracted with NADAR in this government liaison, government affairs liaison. I can't even remember what it's called. It's so new. And we're trying to figure out what that is going to be and what it's supposed to look like. So that's kind of like blazing a new trail. And that's something uh, that I look upon as if I can, ever, if I, if we can ever get it nailed down and working the way uh, we want it to, then that'll be something new that no one else has done before. But really the, the member of the year award uh, in 11 and well, one of, one of the trophies that has the most prominent place on my wall and always will is the Al Gonzalez uh, Special Achievement Award. That's that's just uh, mind blowing that, you know, that the people that 
contribute at that level are not that many in, in my opinion. And uh, the fact that I tricked someone into believing that I belonged in that company uh, is, is pretty mind blowing. Um, but yeah, um, I, you know, I can talk about my contributions to Nader, but it, really it's much more important to me, uh, Nader's contributions to me. You know, I don't, I could, I could work for another 20 years and not ever repay that debt in my opinion. So, so when I see other people, uh, especially newer people coming in, which is very important, you know, if, if, if you believe that you have a place in this uh, profession, then I think it's important for you to come in and do as much and learn as much as you can. I always thought in the beginning, and I thought, you know, wait a minute here, I'm going on talk lists and I'm giving training sessions at NATO conferences. And what I'm doing is I'm training my own damn competition. You know, what, is there something wrong with this picture? You know, I ended up um, doing some technical uh, uh, advice and training for uh, a non-attorney representative who's very close geographically to me. And, you know, I'm like, this guy is going to learn this stuff from me and then he's going to take my clients. So, you know, what am I doing here? But as it turns out, it is important, I think, for new people to come in. And it's important for us to share what we know with those new people because that grows the profession. It improves the profession. And the better that we as advocates, a group of advocates become, um, the better we are at helping our clients and also with working, we become better at working with, with the agencies and, you know, all the offices that you have to go through, you know, and, and therefore advocates are, that shines a, a brighter light on advocates and their abilities. Right. And I also think that, you know, your thought process there is probably one that a lot of people have had, right, about the, oh my gosh, I'm like helping to forward my competition. But I mean, the truth of it is, there are so many people that need guidance through this process, you know, uh, that there, no one firm, no one individual certainly could handle, you know, even a fraction of, of the people that need help, right? And so I do believe the pie is big enough and I, I do believe that people are, are entitled to quality representation, you know? And so I think that's what Nader, um, you know, tries to forward, right? Is that quality uh, representation and, and, um, and sort of the notion that, hey, you know, we can, we can all do this and, and we can all be successful and we still won't actually serve everyone, right? Right. So. Right. One thing that that I come away with is that since every case that you have is unique, 
you may have several people in your clientele who have the same issues, but every single one of them are unique. Yeah. I believe that that transcends to the advocacy side of it as well. While we all are trying to do the same thing, all of us have our unique qualities. Um, and what we find is, is where I am weak uh, in one area, I can lean on someone with Nader who is strong in that area. And then I find uh, even people who are way more experienced at some things than I am, even when it doesn't come to the advocacy side of it, I, my background's in communications and I spent 17 years in, in uh, working with state government. Uh, so there's some, there's some public relations things that I'm stronger in that uh, I would help someone that I didn't realize I was helping. And so right. I think that's the strength of this entire organization is you find your weak links and you, you bring them up to where you are. And then what you find out in the process is that you're also climbing up to another level because there's someone else uh, that's strong in an area where you're not. And I think exactly. that's the strength of the foundation of what we, what we have. And that's certainly been the success of my business. And it's, it's really neat to be able to sit here and listen to you, Phil, because a lot of your experiences and mine are almost identical. Wow. Um, and I mean, I'm, I'm on the, I'm only 10 years into this. And so uh, I, I see where your progress and your process was. And mine was so similar, even how we got involved in it to begin with friend of a friend that knew someone doing this, Hey, you might be good at this. Even though my background was a little different, it led me to the same place. And I can honestly say that even those, those, those nuggets in the hallway that I always talk about that we get at the conferences, a lot of them nuggets came from your front pocket. I mean, uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. you're just stopping in the hall and saying one or two things and I'm listening. I was like, Hey, I needed that. Yeah, just want to say yeah. thank you. Thank you for being able to contribute. Yeah. Well, just, just be careful with how far you take that. You know, you, you might want to look ahead 30 more years to see, Oh my God, that's, that's where I'm going to be 30 years from now. Oh no. But yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and, and like I said, uh, you know, that might apply to you at a passing remark at a conference. It also applies to me, no matter, no matter how many years I've been dancing around this, uh, beast and, and, uh, how many positions I've held in whatever organization I, there is no way to know everything about this, uh, any of these programs that SSA administers, you know, um, I, I often, you know, I, well, for one thing, I get asked a lot, like, how do I fix this? Well, the problem is I have no idea how to fix it. You know, I know, I know the way it should be, but if it's not that way, I don't know what to do about it. You know, um, after I left SSA, there's in, in many circles, maybe most SSA cliques or circles, there is a um, deep mistrust of former employees uh, who, who try to go into, you know, a business related to their, their job, you know, uh, claims representatives think that they're the only 
person a claim it needs to to file and pursue their benefits. And therefore, if someone else is coming in and sucking money away from this claimant for something that I'm already doing, you know, it's got to be some kind of uh, uh, scam. And so I don't have much in the way of contacts within SSA and uh, local levels. In fact, I have just um, the, the field office I worked in for 20 years, though my last field office, the employees won't even talk to me. You know, all of my work goes through a designated employee who started after I left, you know, so that I had no relationship with them. I guess they thought that my friendships would give me an unfair advantage. Um, so, you know, the thing is, you, although I was looked at as someone who might be able to contact someone who could contact someone who knew someone at a higher level that would fix this, in fact, the opposite is true. I rely on people, other people in NADAR, if I need to, uh, something resolved on a particular case and it's not being done the way it should be. You know, they've got that problem resolution uh, system on the website and, you know, egregious case, uh, uh, late fee payments, all the stuff that NADAR does, you know, I have to utilize that to get stuff done on my cases uh, much more than anything I can do individually. So what I tell what I tell people uh, who are starting in this business or thinking of starting in this business or even have been in the business a long time but are struggling or need some advice or direction, you know, there, there are some basic hard and fast rules when dealing with SSA or any executive level federal government agency, I guess. And my first one is, it's kind of a cliche, but nothing is constant but change. So if you don't like the way something is going, just wait a little while and it'll be going differently. <laughs> very, very true. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I talk about the pendulums that swing, you know, uh, over five decades, I've seen uh, extremely climate friendly uh, policies. And then there'll be a reaction to that and the pendulum will swing slowly, but widely in the, I guess to be safe, I would call it the uh, worker, the employee friendly uh, policies. And by that, I mean, you know, the person who's actually working to pay in the taxes that are paying the benefits. Because a lot of people, and I see this a lot in social media, and sometimes, uh, and a lot among my claimants, and even among my uh, uh, co-advocates a lot, that, you know, well, this is, this is my money, I work for it and I paid it in. Or uh, the trust funds would be fine. There wouldn't be any uh, solvency issues if the government would quit borrowing money from the tra trust funds. 
Well, you know, neither of those are very close to reality. Uh, if, if you had to receive benefits strictly based on the money that you paid in and taxes, most people would get about six months worth of benefits, you know, and instead we see people who are on, on this program receiving help for 40, 50 years sometimes. Um, so it's the people who are working today that are paying the benefits for the people who are receiving benefits today. And, you know, sometimes the, the pendulum swings back toward that, you know, saving the trust funds, taking some burden off of the worker and shifting a little bit more of it toward the beneficiary. So that swings uh, back and forth a lot, not quickly, but it does swing. And I've seen uh, just here in the past few years, though, that pendulum has become pretty erratic with uh, much more uh, drastic and fast and overreacting swings. Um, I think, you know, just like everything else, um, the, the dialogue is getting more polarized. And so if you have progression or what you think is progression for a while, then you have an intense sudden extreme knee-jerk reaction in the other direction. So, you know, the changes are coming more quickly and they're becoming more extreme, but still there are changes there. If you can ride them out, uh, I, I tell new people that they need to try to hang in there. And then the next idiom that I use is never say never. When you're, when you're working in a, in a, uh, a policy um, um, issue that deals with anything SSA related, and you say that you see that this is the policy, so therefore this will never happen. Now you can't, you can never say that. So never say never, and never say always, because they make rules just to prove the exception to the rule. You know. But the most important thing for a new person coming in is to learn how to do research. You know, you need to, I mean, Google is amazing. And POMS, uh, Social Security's operating manual, it has its own search engine as well, which works really very quite well. And so you need to know how to look things up that you don't know. But then you, know, you need to know how to read what you looked up. Because, you know, everything has got all these sections. And like if I'm looking for disability insured status and I plug in uh, insured status and two, three thousand hits come up, you know, I have to know to look in DI, not in RS, you know. So uh, it's kind of an art to learning how to look things up. But that's one of the areas that talk list or forum uh, helps me a lot with, you know, so if you, if you get all these things and you look at them and you can't even figure out where to start, then you can usually go to someone and ask a question, but I discourage people from asking a question before they try to find the answer on their own. So I'll just jump in right there and say yeah, amen yeah. to that. Amen. Because, you know, this is totally unrelated. I, I had a, uh, a, a technical question yesterday on a piece of equipment. Okay. 
And I had the manual right there in front of me. And I fought with this darn thing all day. Okay. And finally I said, I'm going to just Google it. So I get online and Google it and I'll be darned if the online version of the manual has a note that the physical manual doesn't have that just changed the whole day. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so it is just so true. You can learn something, maybe, maybe not even what you thought you were out there to learn. Right. Yeah. Just by trying, just, just yeah. go out there, look it up, read yeah. about it. You know, and the process and the process of looking it up, even if you don't find it, you find something else that you're going to need. Yeah, that's right. There's a nugget. So, but talk list is there for for when you've pulled out your last hair and you can't take it anymore. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, that was my. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say this is not to discourage people from posting questions on the talk list, but I do think that there is true value in and being willing to put in your own sort of sweat equity on the research end uh, before, you know, waving, waving the white flag of surrender on the talk list because, right. um, because there's, there's value in the, the, the process of getting to the answer, I think. Yeah. And probably when you look it up and you research it and you think you've got the answer, you don't. Uh, so, you know, you can go on the talk list anyway, uh, but, but research is, has value in and of itself, I believe. Well, I, I used to, I used to put a moniker over myself that, uh, when I would post on the talk list, it would start out as here's another one of my dumb questions. <laughs> and of course, as, as, uh, Carl Osterhaus says, Chase stupid questions. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he's not far from the truth. Uh, but yeah, I would, uh, I would, I would pull my hair out trying to research this stuff. And I was like, cause I did not want to ask the question I wasn't about to ask. And I was like, is this going to be another one of my dumb questions? Yeah. But well, it was so refreshing to me that, that my dumb questions always ended up being 15 or 20 comments deep with yeah. from all walks of life, weighing in on where I was misguided here, or I was almost there on this side of the thought. And yeah. you're exactly right. Uh, get in there, learn where you learn what you're asking first. Yeah. And, and then once you've reached that, uh, that fence that you can't get over under or around, that's what the talk list is there for. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the last couple of things that I try to st- tell people who I know that are starting this or in it and struggling or thinking about it is uh, number one is don't overextend yourself, know your limits. You know, you can't save the world. You can't help everyone. So you have to pick your battles. Um, You know, if, 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 if you're going to represent someone, try to represent people that actually have a claim. And uh, you know, because if you overextend, then you're not helping them or yourself. And then the last thing is uh, life is what happens while you're waiting for something else. So, you know, all these goals, uh, uh, markers in your path that you've set, I want to do this and that. Uh, next week, I have to take this meeting and talk to these people and uh, interview this client and send in this form. Well, you know, we keep waiting for the end result, but 
the real action is what you're doing every day. It's, it's a present moment kind of thing that I think so many of us lose sight of, you know, holding our breath and not enjoying what we're doing right now. That's my philosophy for, for advocates and for life, I guess. Yeah, enjoy the moment. Yeah. Or at least don't don't fight against it. Um, don't don't struggle every minute of your life. You know, life shouldn't be a struggle. Well, um, I'm proud of your 50 years, Phil. That's quite an accomplishment. Yeah, thank you. And uh, and I, I I think that the the journey to get where you are now, though probably hurdles and and uh, receipt checking and all that uh, in the mix um, has, has led you to a, a really good um, place. And I'm, I'm happy to have served alongside you, sir. Oh, thank you, ditto. And like I say, it's, uh, it's really not the destination, but the journey itself that matters. So it's been a, it's been a ride and still is. Well, thank you very much for joining us today and we look forward to seeing you soon. Shay, anything else? It's like, it's like sitting in the, uh, uh, in the presence of the guru here, you know, the philosophical mindfulness that you've kind of given us uh, motivates me because I literally was, I went to Atlanta to, uh, to not ever do this again. I told my wife, I said, let's, let's go to this conference. And then when we're finished, I'm, I'm done. I'm stopping. I'm quitting. I can't, you know, I can't make this thing work. And when I met the people that were giving me the answers and, or the encouragement through the talk list and I met them face to face, it completely changed my business. It completely changed my life. And I owe it all to folks like yourself who, who have blazed that, that trail, uh, so to speak. And uh, folks just like you that were willing to say, hey, I've done this and I'm sharing what I know and uh, it changed my life. I'm still doing this today because of, of the ones like yourself, Phil. And I, I just want to personally say thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And, and, and that applies to me as well. <laughs>